1: Hello, Hello. and welcome to Plotting Through the Presidents, where we love digging into lesser known stories from presidential history and the early republic.
2: And since we're approaching Halloween, I have a feeling this one's going to be a little spooky.
1: That's the plan.
2: I thought so.
1: Yes. I, by the way, am Howard Dory.
2: Oh, yes. And I'm Jess Dory.
1: And today we do indeed have a Halloween treat for you.
2: I thought so. I'm really excited. We really like paranormal stuff.
1: We do. Yeah. I'm speaking with paranormal author and investigator Jeff Belanger. That's perfect. Host of the PBS and Amazon Prime show, New England Legends, and the popular podcast of the same name. That is so cool. Yes. And he's the author of several books, including one for younger adult readers called Who's Haunting the White House?
2: Nice. Yes.
1: Our patrons can see the entire unedited video interview. Check out our Patreon to find out more. Also, a couple of quick housekeeping items, all right? Clean it up. We are taking next week off.
2: Next week off.
1: We're taking next week off and we're going to be back in two weeks for the first of two final episodes of season three.
2: What are we doing during our week off?
1: Um, recording. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of our Patreon, we do Zoom meetups with our higher tier patrons. But on November 14th, we're having a big virtual meetup for all of our patrons. That's All levels. really special. Yeah, to celebrate the season finale. And we'd love to see you there.
2: Oh, that's really cool. I really love these meetups. I mean, that's really how I personally feel like I'm getting to know our patrons. Yeah,
1: definitely. Now, before the interview, I have a short little White House ghost story to share.
2: Oh. A real
1: Whopper. Whopper? Yeah.
2: Is it a lie? A Whopper is usually a lie.
1: Um, Sometimes it's just a sandwich.
2: Okay. <laughs> or a chocolate multiple. ball.
1: this is a story that appears in tons of books and newspapers and it's not one that i talked to jeff about in our interview okay this is the story of winston churchill and the ghost of abraham lincoln
2: oh wow that's quite a ghost to see
1: as the story goes winston churchill prime minister of the united kingdom he was visiting the white house in 1940 when franklin roosevelt was president he was supposed to sleep in the lincoln bedroom
2: That's special.
1: The best guest room, yeah. But he didn't want to. Some reports say that he tried, but he left in the middle of the night because it was haunted and he insisted on sleeping in another room after that. That's scary. But the best version of the story is that Churchill was staying in the Lincoln bedroom and he was taking a nice hot bath to soak his sixty-five year old British bones. Ew. And he was sixty-five in nineteen forty, so with inflation, that's roughly eighty years old today. Ew, ew. So he gets out of I the, just
2: don't like thinking about old men in bathtubs. It's
1: essential to the story, Jess. Okay. okay. You is gotta like, put yourself there.
2: Is it like room one three four?
1: Two three seven or two seventeen. Yeah. Thank you. yeah. <laughs> yes. It's, okay. it's kind of like From that. the shining. Yes. Yes. Okay. yes. Except it's not a ghost of a woman. It's it's Winston Churchill's very much alive body right. <laughs> <who laughs> Lying out of the bath kicking. yeah so so he gets out of the bath and he's dripping wet and he walks out of the bathroom
2: was his skin soft howard <laughs> it was <laughs>
1: it was it was so soft with the night soil of the white house oh no okay, i'm no, getting I, really grossed I out i that here. was taken care of by then so he gets out of the bath naked as the day was born holding a cigar was he
2: naked was he naked he was or?
1: naked he was glistening in the light of the incandescent bulb um <laughs> He's got a cigar in one hand, and he walks out into the Lincoln bedroom. And there, standing in the corner, leaning up against the mantle of the fireplace, is the transparent apparition of Abraham Lincoln, just chilling. And Churchill, cigar in hand, balls out.
2: Lincoln (laughs) Lincoln by the fireplace,
1: mantle, balls in. (laughs) (laughs) Churchill looks at this ghost, and he says, Mr. President... You seem to have me at a disadvantage.
2: <laughs> That's how I felt when, um, what's his face, approached us at the red box when we were trying to get a movie.
1: David Hasselhoff?
2: Yeah, when David Hasselhoff came up to us and was like, hi, guys, how do you work this thing? I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, oh, hi, David.
1: It was strange that we were naked at the red box, for one.
2: <laughs> I didn't know your balls were out.
1: <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, David Hasselhoff did approach us at a red box and he did not know how to use it. And he asked for our help. He was wanting to rent Piranha.
2: Double D. Double D. Because that was his movie. He
1: was in it. And I think I I saw later that um, his 60th birthday, I think, was like the next day or something. What? So I think he was trying to rent the movie for his birthday party. And it was not out yet. Oh. So he asked us if they had older movies like The Driver.
2: <laughs>
1: and they did not. Yeah. And then he disappeared. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and then he apparated. Yes. Anyway,
1: um,
3: I felt
2: caught at a disadvantage in that moment, too. He, like, literally snuck up behind us. hmm Okay, poor Winston Churchill. What did Lincoln say back to him?
1: Goose Lincoln smiles to himself and disappears.
2: Why is he going to come if he's not going to talk?
1: You know, uh, does that story sound, I don't know, legit to you? No. No?
2: Well... His cigar would be all, like, who smokes a cigar in the bath? That's gross. I
1: mean, Churchill might. That might be the most realistic part. Really?
2: I thought that was unrealistic. <laughs> I do like how go I mean, I do think that ghosts don't show up necessarily at convenient times. Mm. But I just don't picture ghosts being, like, full-bodied apparitions. I think that sounds like a movie
1: to Okay. Me. Okay. Like,
2: contrived. All right. What do you think?
1: Um, I mean, my favorite part is that Lincoln is kind of (laughs) coy. And it's
2: just
1: like, -hmm, for now, Winston.
2: Uh, I don't think he'd do that, though.
1: Yeah, I I don't know. Um, But this story has been in tons of books. It's been in lots of newspapers. I dug into it a little. And I found that the first mention of it, this version anyway, seems to be in 2008. Huh. Which is not a great sign.
2: No, that's rather recent.
1: Yes. Then I found the website of Richard Langworth. He's a historian and a writer, and he's a bona fide authority on Churchill. And he dug into this, and his conclusion was that it's complete BS.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Plent- because of the cigar?
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. There's other reasons. Plenty of people have claimed to see Lincoln's ghost in the White House, but Churchill was not one of them. Hmm. Even Adam Seltzer, the author of the 2015 book, Ghosts of Lincoln, Discovering His Paranormal Legacy, he says he couldn't find any primary or even secondary sources for that story. And he said it seemed unlikely. <laughs> his reasoning uh, was that based on Churchill's personality, um, it's unlikely that Churchill would consider being naked in front of a ghost as a disadvantage. <laughs> Yeah.
2: What would Churchill do in real life in that situation?
1: It's a good question. Um, We just don't know because he never talked about it because it never happened.
2: Mm, So he definitely would be the type to talk about it at least.
1: Well, if the story got out, it would have only come from him unless Lincoln's ghost told someone else. Like, hey, guess (laughs) guess what I just saw? (laughs) Um, Here's all the reasons that it probably didn't happen. There are no contemporary accounts of it. It wasn't even called the Lincoln Bedroom until 1961. Mm -hmm. It was the Blue Suite. It was never the room that Lincoln slept in, by the way. It was his office. Oh. But Lincoln's bed was moved in there in 1945. But that's five years after this story. I see. Yeah. But the Churchill expert Langworth, he thinks the story might have roots in the verified account that Franklin Roosevelt did barge in on Churchill when he was either fully nude or just in a bath towel.
2: Oh, so it's kind of completing the two stories.
1: Probably, yeah. It wasn't the ghost of President Lincoln. It was the actual (laughs) physical (laughs) living President Roosevelt who um, barged in on Churchill.
2: Real life Roosevelt. Why? Why would he do that?
1: Well, the story goes one of two ways. Um, Roosevelt either just went into the room and um, Churchill said, see, Mr. President, I have nothing to hide. (laughs) Or um, FDR was excited. Because he finally thought of a name for the new international group that they were forming. And he barged in to tell Churchill about it. And Churchill's there either naked or in a bath towel. And Roosevelt just says, United Nations. And Churchill says, good.
2: (laughs) That's all he had to say, huh?
1: Those are the two versions of that story. But that story was told kind of by each of them Mm -hmm. in a different way. So that there's a foundation to either the nudity or the near nudity. Mm -hmm. But not to Lincoln being involved.
2: I see.
1: There are more Naked Churchill stories, but I'm saving those for our new podcast, Plotting Through the Privates of Winston Churchill. (laughs) Um, By the way, I haven't asked you, are you down to join me on that podcast? You want to be the (laughs) co-host on that one, too? Are you? I don't know. I'm having
2: second thoughts about this one, honestly.
1: (laughs) 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 Good to know. (laughs) Um, But the moral of the story is that if a story sounds too good to be true, uh, even if it's been repeated lots of places, it's best to maybe dig into it.
2: Yeah, I don't even know if that sounds too good to be true.
1: I, I think it's the the pithy remark of like, oh, you found me at a disadvantage. <laughs> oh, I
2: see. It's like, wow, that's pretty witty in the moment. Exactly. Instead of dropping your cigar and like slipping
1: in the bathtub. <laughs> yeah, dying, yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, that's the night he hit his head.
1: Yeah, the idea that if you see a ghost, all you need to do is like bang out a witty zinger. Right. And it'll just dis- smile and disappear. Right. Pretty cool. <laughs> But now let's get to our talk with author, paranormal investigator, and host of the New England Ooh. Legends television show and podcast, the incomparable Jeff Belanger. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us, Jeff. I-, I love talking to people who are passionate about what they do, and, and that's you. I want to ask you about New England. I want to ask you about the White House, sure. both places I've-, I've never had the pleasure of visiting. But first, I want to ask you about a place that I have visited. On our honeymoon, my wife, Jess, my co-host, and I we went to Paris. And one of the things I most wanted to do, and we ended up doing a tour on my birthday, uh, was go into the catacombs. And as I understand it, uh, you had an experience in the catacombs. And I'd love if you could tell us a little bit about the catacombs and and about that.
0: Sure. So I actually had my first ghost experience in the catacombs. Uh, I grew up loving ghosts, loving ghost stories, but didn't have an experience until I was an adult. And it was 2003. And I was over in Paris for a work trip, and uh, I had a day to myself, and some of my colleagues were going to the Louvre or the Musee d'Orsay or whatever, and I said, I'll catch up with you later. I'm going underground. And when nice. I went, you know, it's, there's a, it was like a museum, but there was no tour. I just went down alone. Um,
1: mm. So
0: I was there alone, and I'm walking through, and, and as you know, it's, I mean, there's spots where you have to duck to keep going through, and there's spots that open up into kind of like big caverns. And the amazing thing is just the connection to history that this place has, right? I mean, Paris is literally almost 2,000 years old, if you consider Mm -hmm. it was once a Roman outpost, which grew into a village and then to a town and then to a city. And when you build a city, you put the cemeteries on the outskirts, which is exactly what they did in Paris, except over the centuries, the outskirts aren't the outskirts anymore. The city just sprawled. And by the mid 1700s to 1800s, they have two big problems. Uh, the cemeteries are full. They're literally overflowing. And to get to the limestone, the, to build all these magnificent buildings, they're tunneling, 300 kilometers of tunnels underneath the city. And so some of the buildings are collapsing and the cemeteries are literally oozing humanity into the streets. The smell is awful. And so yeah, they that's know- That's not what you want. No, no. And I mean, imagine <laughs> if that was there today, it wouldn't be the city of lights. It would be the city of frights. I'm sorry. I couldn't <laughs> you could delete that. Just edit that out later.
1: <laughs> um, I'm going to just replay it on a loop.
0: Right, right. And you turn it into a soundtrack with the music, <laughs> the auto-tune, that'd be great. Um, so so when I was there, you know, you're walking through, you see graffiti from the French underground, and you've got all this, you know, all this history around you. And then I walk through this doorway that says, stop, this is the empire of the dead in French. Mm. And then it's just surrounded by millions of human skeletons. And it sort of takes your breath away. And as I'm walking through, I get to this one long tunnel and I stopped because I see a man just step out and from the right side to the left, and then he went back again. And I just went, oh, wait, I thought I was alone. And then I thought, well, maybe there's a little side tunnel there or whatever. And I kept going, and there wasn't. It was just one long straightaway. And in that moment, I tried to explain it away as best I could, but I had no word left but ghost. I mean, that was mm. something I'll never forget. And it took... Really, days and weeks and even months for it to fully sink in, but it was just one of those kind of like life changing events.
1: From there, I mean, did that spark you kind of diving into this, or how did you get into doing? What did you do?
0: (laughs) No, I was doing this way before. Uh, Oh, okay. I I was. uh, I mean, six, seven years earlier, I started writing about uh, ghosts and haunted places. Um, So, no, this was this wasn't new at all. Um, I was interested as a kid, you know, growing up in New England there's some really old houses around here. Well, old by American standards. And I had friends who said, yeah, my house is haunted. And I was intrigued because it wasn't like a ghost story. It was just, yeah, we see him from time to time and then he disappears some old man and no one's afraid of him. He's just there and then not there. And I went, wow, I mean, there's no old man in my house. You know, I mean, it's just just us. And I also grew up in the town next to Ed and Lorraine Warren, who um, mm. the, they're featured in all the Conjuring movies now. Uh, way more famous now than they ever were in life, and they were just regional celebrities when I grew up. But I remember seeing their library programs, they would talk about the haunts they investigated, and I was just intrigued. So by the mid-90s, I was became a newspaper reporter, and around October, you go looking for haunted feature stories, and I was no different, and I just got hooked because I love history, I love talking to people, and that eventually turned into a website back in 1999 called Ghost Village, then I started writing books. Then I started working for the show Ghost Adventures in 2008. And I've been the writer and researcher for every episode since. And I, I write books. And I I do, um, you know, live stories in front of audiences. And it was one of these things where I never planned on this being my career. It's just one day I woke up and realized, wow, this is my full-time
1: job. Wow. And, yeah, the the way that uh, you talk about your your friends, families being so matter-of-fact, that's one thing that I come across reading, like, historical documents and things. It's It's like there wasn't necessarily this aversion to the idea. It was just a matter of fact thing that, oh yeah, this this might happen. It's out there.
0: And, and I love that, right? I love, especially yeah, you read older documents and it's just like, you know, that's the home of the Jones family. It's been there since 1735. That's the home of the Smith family since
1: 1742.
0: It's haunted. Yeah. <laughs> like, wait, don't bury the lead, right? I mean, <laughs> it's haunted. Yeah, that one's haunted. This one isn't, you know, on we go.
1: You've done uh, how many hundreds of episodes of, of uh, New England legends about New England and the stories there?
0: Yes. So that's my weekly podcast, which was a spinoff of a television series that we did for PBS and Amazon Prime. And we've done it every week. We've never missed a week. So I think we're up to 217 weeks in a row, 217 episodes. Um, wow. Been going. Yeah.
1: What is it about New England, do you think, that, that has all these stories, this history
0: Yeah. So we have a, I think we have a sense of preservation around here, a natural sense of it. You know, when I go to other parts of the country and even other parts of the world, um, well, it's, I mean, uh, Europe is very much the same, but like, you know, around here, when you go down main street of our little towns, I mean, there's the town hall, which is exactly what it looked like in 1804, <laughs> you know, and, and yeah. there's the, you know, there's the the houses on main street, which is exactly what they look like in, you know, 1780. And, and I mean, the Dunkin' Donuts is exactly what the Dunkin' Donuts looked like <laughs> back in, you know, 1735, and <laughs> it, it's just, so, I mean, yeah, now we have power lines and cars, but it's, it's all there. We don't tear down our old buildings and replace them. We, we take care of them, we preserve them. It becomes a way of life. And I think we have this sort of uh sensibility about us where we understand, you know, a whole country was kind of born up here um, and everything that goes with that. And and, I mean, when you go down the city of Boston, you see the skyscrapers, but then (laughs) tucked in the middle of them will be this ancient brick church, you know, that, that was exactly mm. what was there, you know, when Paul Revere rode by and Paul Revere's house is still there, you know, near the bars and the, you know, and everything else that's otherwise a normal part of the city. And, and so I, I we just have this sense that like, no, that stuff's important. We hold on to it. And that includes the stories and the stories, the histories is the most important part. Hauntings and legends are, to me are just a connection to that history. And we have mm. such oral traditions up here. It's, it's cold in the winter. We hibernate. You know, we, we share share stories, we can't help it. And I think all of that just sort of swirls around here to just make us sort of pragmatic about the whole thing.
1: Interesting, yeah. I mean, I think of the East Coast sometimes as almost rude in the way that uh, they hoard American history.
0: Yeah, sometimes just rude, by yeah. the way, just rude. Yeah, no, uh, there's <laughs> people from Massachusetts, my people. Uh, there's a word for us. I'm not sure if you're aware of it, do you know?
1: Uh, I think I might be. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's, uh, it's they call us mass holes. yeah. Uh, and unless and, and you think it's an insult, I, I know many a person who has a bumper sticker that says that and put it, they put it proudly on the back of their nice. car as if like, yeah, I am. What of it, right? That's how it is. Um, yeah, I think we get this sense of uh, being referred to as cold and, and rude. And I get it. I get it. I think we can be standoffish. But at the same time, um, I go to like California and people are like, hey, let's be best friends. Come over to my house for dinner on Sunday. And I'm like, whoa, you could be an axe murderer. <laughs> And then I say, wait, I could be an axe murderer. What are you, crazy? And so I think we're just sort of like slower to warm. We're a little more reserved. Um, But in that reservation, you know, when we do make a friend, it tends to be a little more permanent, a little more below the surface. And I'm stereotyping, none of this is fair. There's there's superficial people around here. There's deep people on the West Coast, of course. But um, where where are you?
1: Uh, I'm in Los Angeles, but I grew up in Illinois.
0: I've heard of Los Angeles. It's right near Long Beach.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. We're uh, North Long Beach, they call us.
0: Yeah, that's right, North Long Beach. Yeah, no, uh, right. It's so, so LA is one of those places where I mean, if strip mall gets too old, you're going to tear it down and you're going to put up a new one, right? I yeah. Mean, with a few exceptions, there's a few great old places. You know, Old Town San Diego, South of you is is awesome, and uh, some of the old mansions, the Hollywood Hills and stuff. So there's there's some preservation, of course, but we have a lot of it. You know, like every yeah, town yeah. preserves here.
1: Yeah, we have. A, I mean, I used to live where I could uh, take the baby for a walk in front of the Nightmare on Elm Street house. Which is cool, <laughs> yeah, but different than you know something that was built in the sixteen or 1700s
0: yeah it's I mean it's a all of this stuff is a connection, and I think that's what's so important, you know uh, folklore legends work the same way today as they've always worked. they just go way faster, you know what I mean, so someone would hear a story about a place or have a strange experience. And they'd tell another person about it, maybe over drinks, maybe around a campfire or something. Say, hey, you know that old house, that that blue house there? I got to tell you something that happened to me in there. And that still works the same way, except now I post it on Facebook or Instagram <laughs> or, yeah. or, or TikTok. And then it gets <laughs> liked and shared. And a story that used to take months or even you know years uh, to, to get around can get around by this afternoon.
1: Yeah. You talk about um, the fact that there's so much preservation, there's buildings that are, are hundreds of years old. And I wonder if there's something about the the distance between now and then that is is kind of a magnet or helps uh, spur these, these stories. Because I forget what comedian it was saying that you never see a ghost from the 1980s, you know, <laughs> named Tiffany or something like that. And yeah. I don't know that that's true. But um, I just wonder if there's something about the distance and associating the past with this other time.
0: So, first of all, uh, I get tons of people emailing me about ghost experiences. The most common that I get are actually uh, way sooner than the 1980s. Mm. We're talking like weeks ago. So, the, the most common uh, ghost sightings that people tell me about are uh, grandma died two weeks ago and I saw her in the kitchen you know, Mm -hmm. and she was just there and she smiled and she disappeared. Or, uh, um, you know, a friend of mine died in a car accident and I was so upset and I watched him just walk by my window, give me a peace sign and vanish. And like just these, these stories that sort of give these experiences that give people closure that comes up all the time. Um, and then of Mm -hmm. course uh, there's, there's tons of exceptions, but I get it. We tend to think of them as uh, a little more uh, distant. And the reason is because, you know, it's, totally safe to talk about ghosts from the civil war, right? Nobody's families are around anymore. Like that's a a couple generations removed. However, it works the other way too. We don't talk about uh, ghosts of Roman soldiers. It's too far back, right? It's Mm. at some point uh, we lose the connection with people. Civil war is enough. It's only a few generations away. Um, and, and, And some of those battle sites, of course, are still around and preserved, Um, but once it gets to be too old, it's just, it just becomes nameless and faceless to us. And, and we let them go. They drift away and, and a new generation of, of ghosts
1: replace them. That's fascinating. Some like Neil Gaiman, American gods type stuff there. That's, that's fascinating.
0: So there's, there's a, a Mexican proverb. The, the proverb is that we all die three deaths. The first death happens when your body expires. The second death happens when your, your corpse is laid into the ground, but the third and final death comes somewhere down the line. And that happens when your name is uttered for the last time. Mm. And I love that because to me, that sort of sums up the way we keep our ghosts around. You know, at some point, it's just, I mean, even now, like Civil War soldier at Gettysburg, like we don't really know his name. In most cases, they don't have a name. It's just, oh, Union Blue or or Confederate Gray. And and at some point when we just don't have enough of a connection, their name isn't uttered. We let them go. They really have died now, even though it, it may have been centuries.
1: Wow. So sticking with New England for a moment, mm-hmm. uh, you've done a, a lot of stories there. You're, you know, from there. Is there one particular story that you had just the best time really digging into?
0: There's so many. Um, I, And every week, like you find one where you're just like, this is great. I can't believe I've missed this one until now. Um, One of the things I'm drawn to again and again is uh, our cemeteries. I love them. And New Englanders, man, we get creative with some epitaphs, you know, um, there's, there's one, uh, it's one of these stories that it just stops you dead in your tracks. When you see it, it's, uh, it, it also sort of coincides. I was raised Catholic and, and grew up, you know, the whole thing all the way to, to confirmation. And I haven't been to church in really decades at this point. And I've always made the joke to my mom that I don't go because, uh, you know, I don't want lightning to strike. And (laughs) anyone innocent to be killed when, when lightning hits me in the church and everybody laughs and we move on. And of course that could never, ever happen until (laughs) you find yourself uh, wandering through Stratfield uh, graveyard, which is in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And there's a grave from 1771. We weren't even America yet. 1771. And I'll read it to you. Uh, Here lies buried the body of Mr. David Sherman, who was killed by lightning in the house of God at public worship on the 28th of July, 1771, in the 35th year of his age, with a New England death head on top and everything. Wow. That's the epitaph from 1771. And so I I read that and I went, oh my God, you know, I mean, I, I needed to know more and I kept digging. And then it turns out um, there's uh, a guy named William Wheeler wrote a journal for the town of Fairfield, which is just historical happenings in the region. Fairfield's the next town over from Bridgeport. And the year 1771 has only one entry in it. (laughs) It it said, uh, July, the lightning struck Stratfield Meeting House and killed Uncle John Burr, ripped open the shoes of his brother, Osias, that stood near him and killed likewise David Sherman. Two guys were killed in this lightning strike and another lost a shoe. And I mean like you know, like so you yeah. and there it is, matter of fact, right there on a headstone from all those years ago, and you just walk by and you stop cold and you go, There's a story here, right? And and I and that's what I love about a legend is that you always start with the legend. This place is haunted, or the guy was struck by lightning in church, you know, and and, and then you have to go back in time. You have to. You you can't leave it at that. Like I can't anyway. I can't eat, I can't right. when I saw that headstone, I'm like, well. Clear the schedule, right? Like, (laughs) I won't be eating. I won't be sleeping until I know exactly what happened because this is going to gnaw at me. And then you go back in time and you look and you fill in and you say, oh, that's how this headstone got here. It turns out no one had put lightning rods on the meeting house yet. And and there was even another line I found, too. Parson Rose, who had been praying when this happened, Uh, the next words he uttered were, are we all here? (laughs) No. No, we're not. Parson Rose. And then I thought, too, like, imagine you're Parson Rose, right? Two of your congregation just struck down by lightning at right, yeah. right in church. And, and maybe it's me. Maybe I'm just a cold-blooded capitalist. But if I were Parson Rose in that instance, I would have been like, pass the plate around, pass the uh-huh. election plate. Uh, let's get that thing going. Because I think God might be a little bit angry that you're not <laughs> quite giving enough. Um, but that's me. I would, I would have taken full advantage.
1: Yeah, we all know what Mr. Sherman did. Uh, I'll see yeah. you next Sunday.
0: <laughs> that's right. That's right. Anyone else? Anyone else? Uh, not, not give quite as much as they could in the plate this week. Um, and and I, I mean, I just, I love these weird stories, you know? And, and of course, sometimes I think a haunt sticks around because, um, because there's a moral to it. I, mean, I think in most cases, actually, mm. it's, it's literally a sermon from our past. You know, there's something we're still grappling with where, um, you know, uh, the Lizzie Borden house in Fall River, two people were murdered there. And no one was ever punished for the crime. Doesn't matter; it was over 120 years ago. Uh, that bothers us. Someone got away with a double murder, and, um, and and we know it could happen again. And so we keep telling this story. I think, in part, to remind ourselves be vigilant. People do get murdered in their homes, and we don't want people to get away with murder. I mean, that's none of that mm-hmm. is right, right? We still want justice, and that lack of justice does indeed haunt us.
1: Yeah, I think I mean Jack the Ripper. You know, the fact that he was never found, I think that adds so much staying power to the story and the the element of mystery and, and gets people talking.
3: Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industry shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, yeah, so, yeah.
0: Howard, what's the most famous painting in the world? Let's say it at the same time. We didn't prepare this. Three, two, one. Uh, oh, that Mona was the Last Supper? La- no, Mona Lisa. Oh, Mona Lisa, yeah, 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 That's what you would have said if you had another second. You were on the spot, yes. right? Yes, Right. Do you know why it's the most famous?
1: Uh, is it that mysterious smile?
0: Nope. It was stolen. Oh. It, it was stolen, you know, way back, I think it was the, the 1930s. Uh, someone stole the painting. And at the time it was like, oh, that's, that's da Vinci. That's good stuff, right? <laughs> um, but once it was stolen, suddenly it became a national embarrassment for Paris. Mm. Um, how could you let this, this painting go? This wasn't just a painting. This was a masterpiece. And it was missing because, I mean, a painting that hot, you can't get rid of it. You know, everybody in the world was looking for it. It's one of a kind. Uh, and then finally, it shows up at some art dealer in Italy. It gets returned to Paris it you know after being gone for almost two years. And then everybody wants to see this painting that was almost lost to all of us, this masterpiece of masterpieces. And I've seen Did you go to the Louvre? Did you see it when you were in Yeah, Paris? yeah,
1: definitely. It's a, I remember thinking that's smaller than I expected, but it was just yeah, such a crowd just attracted to it like a magnet.
0: And so when you walk down that, that salon, and there's all these paintings. I'm not an art guy. I th- I mean, I appreciate a good painting, you know. But I, I know as much about art as like you know. I, the fact I've already given away all I know about art. <laughs> there's these incredible huge paintings that to me I'm like, holy cow, look yeah. at that! And then you see the Mona Lisa, and you're like, eh. I mean, that was my reaction. Yeah. Uh, right. I mean, truly, yeah. like, I I mean, those ten paintings over there to me, I think look more masterful, amazing. Then mm-hmm. the Mona Lisa, but and again, not an art guy. I, I'm practically dragging my knuckles through the Louvre, right? <laughs> like as I as I walk. But that was my first impression. But damn it, that's the Mona Lisa. It's famous. You're in yeah. the presence of a celebrity. That painting over there, I've never heard. I've never seen it before. But I'm just struck by its beauty. And the Mona Lisa, I'm just like, well, that's the thing everybody's talking about.
1: Yeah, we love a mystery.
0: We do. We do. And, and when something is, uh, uh, when, when there's unanswered questions, that just adds to it for sure.
1: Yeah. You wrote a book about hauntings in the White House. I did. And it sounds like you just had a, a great time kind of investigating that and talking to people there. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that, that experience and, and what, uh, what you came away with?
0: Sure. So it was um, in my very first book back in 2004, I wrote a book called The World's Most Haunted Places. And I had a chapter on the White House and it was a, it was a book of like, I don't know, 30 haunts and each, each haunt was its own chapter. And I remember digging in on the White House and going, wow, there is so much here. Like this this could be its own book, you know? Mm. And I never stopped thinking about it. And what I love about the White House is that everything is so well-documented. Every president, once that president is, is out of office, has a library set up and that library includes every document that ever went through their desk some of it's classified a lot of it is not and so uh researching it you know i I never stopped thinking about it and so i reached out to a publisher and i said i want to do a children's book from for middle grade middle readers about the white house nonfiction about the ghosts of the white house and they said huh all right go on and i said well we're going to use ghosts as an innovative way to teach history to kids because like we said before, you start at the end, there's a ghost. Yeah. Well, now you have to ask like, well, who lived here? Who died here? What happened? Why would this person still be sticking around? And you have to go back and you have to fill that in with history. That's how you do it. Um, I didn't invent that. That's how you tell a ghost story. And so uh, they said, oh, that's great. So I called the White House and this was during the George W. Bush presidency. Okay. I just called the main number. I, I had nowhere else to start. And I said, hi, I wanna to talk to someone about Writing a book about the ghosts of the White House. <laughs> what do you? What else do you say? Right? I don't know. Yeah. Switchboard, and they're like, "Huh? Hold on a second. And like, five I think seconds they have a special
1: later, line just for that. I
0: right. Think, I know. I'm just year. like, I, whoever answered. I mean, whew, I salute you. Five seconds <laughs> later, I'm talking to the boss, and the boss is not the president. The boss is the chief usher of the White mm. House. Um, and and there's at that point, I think there'd only been something like twenty. Um, and I spoke to a guy named Gary Walters, and he had served every president between Nixon and George W. Bush, right? Wow. He spent more time in that building than uh, any president. If you figure, you know, 40 to 80 hours a week times all those years, that's going to add up to more than, you know, eight years in, in the White House. And so, I mean, he's just had some time there. And I said, you know, hey, I want to do a book about the ghost of the White House. He said, yeah, we're not interested. And I said, but, you know, we're going to teach history to kids. This is a, a kind of an innovative way to do it. And he said, all right, you know what? Okay, come on down. And I said, this is great. And so I had to go through my rep. There was a background check. There was this whole thing. Uh, I had an appointment, and so uh, I got to go down there. I, I had a tape recorder to record my interviews. I had to hand that through the fence so that they could wow. they could they could check it over so there's nothing bad in there, you know, and and then they they hand it back to me and um, so I get to go in and and um, got a tour of the 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 downstairs, which is part of the standard tour. Um, But then I got to go talk to some of the staff, uh, Gary Walters among them, and that's the staff. There's about 100 employees of the White House, and it doesn't matter who's president, right? These are the butlers, the cleaning crew, the groundskeepers, the ushers, and so on um, that that take care of the building. And they're incredibly uh, patriotic. They're um, incredible historians. You know, I remember going in one of the rooms and there was a Secret Service agent who knew every piece of furniture in the East Room, right? He'd say, well, that rug was brought in by the Clintons in the 90s. And this this painting was painted by so-and-so. The frame, however, came from Roanoke, Virginia in 1785. And did I mean, he wow. knew everything. And I said, well, what do you know about the ghost of the White House? He said, well, people report seeing a British red coat out near the North Portico. And, of course, Abraham Lincoln upstairs by the Lincoln bedroom. And the same like deadpan tone of voice. He talked about the carpet, the frame, the painting, the the desk over there. And I just was like, is this like, kind of like federal recognition of the existence of ghosts? And he's like, sir, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) I was like, oh, right. You have the gun. So there's that. So, uh, um, amazing, just amazing. And then talking to some of the staff, they all sort of have ghost experiences. And and here I am thinking like, they're not going to share this with me. Right. They didn't care they didn't care. They were like, nope. Yeah. We've all had weird experiences here. Um, I remember Gary Walters had said he was in the, um, uh, one of, one of the rooms and, and the, the doors were held open by magnets, you know, those magnets that hold the the doors open, like that they, they stick to. And he said, suddenly there's this big rush of air and the door sort of slammed shut. And while I grant you that you would never make a Hollywood movie, uh, about, you know, a door slamming shut. It's the White House. Nothing's supposed to happen that isn't, you know, cross-checked eight ways to Sunday. Um, that's just how it goes. So anyway, it was uh, it was really, really interesting. And then there was a butler that talked about seeing the ghost of Lincoln, um, you know, hmm. on the second floor. A foreman who said he would go down the hallway and turn the lights on in the morning, and there would be uh, Lincoln sitting in front of the Lincoln bedroom with his hands crossed, and and just look at him and then disappear. And I was thinking about this. I'm like, okay, some presidents have referenced the ghosts. And I went through all the presidential libraries. I got every reference to ghosts ever. Um, and presidents have talked about them. Truman mentioned the places. is sure shooting. The place is haunted, to quote President Truman. But our presidents, we don't drug test them. We don't psychologically <laughs> screen them. Uh, they, they, we don't background check them at all. Like, none of that. Gary Walters and and the the Tony Savoy, the chief operations foreman, he's drug tested, psych screened, background checked eight ways to Sunday. Like that's the most reliable witness you will ever find. And and they're just like, "No, it's haunted." Uh, yeah, I huh. said it's haunted. What are you going to call me a liar? No, I wouldn't dare, right? Like that's that's the end of the discussion right there. And I was just blown away at how matter-of-fact they were.
1: Uh the little bit I've looked into ghost stories at the White House at first, I came to it thinking, like, oh, it's going to be 100-year-old stories of people who didn't understand that a creaking old house, you know, makes noises. Yeah. But then I, I realized that there's weird stuff that, that comes from the Obamas themselves, okay. right?
0: Yeah. So, yeah. So, the the Obamas had talked about, um, I believe they had a guest stay over who who felt like something was, was grabbing at their feet in the um, Lincoln bedroom, if, I, mm. if I'm remembering the story correctly. Um, yeah, it's, I mean... Every presidency, we tend to hear about it a few years after they're out of office. No, no president I've found has ever talked about it while in office, with the exception of the Lincolns, <laughs> and um, also, well, Truman. Uh, Truman wrote about it quite freely in letters to his wife. Reagan, Reagan once uh, made an off-the-cuff remark he was walking his dog um, from Air Force One and someone yelled a question to him like, hey, is the White House haunted? And he said, you know, the dog will get right in front of the Lincoln bedroom and just bark, 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 and then run away from it. Well, I don't know. Right. And that, that was, I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but that's pretty much what President Reagan said while in office. Yeah. So, you know, so mentions are made, you know, uh, Hillary Clinton, when, when they were in office had said, yeah, it can be a spooky place at night. Sometimes you see some, you hear and see some weird things. So, It's just, it's known, right? It's just understood that this place is haunted. And and by the way, it sort of should be. Um, When I, I've actually, I got to go there as a kid and then went there again when I was working on this book. And when you stand under the North Portico and you realize every single US president stood where I'm standing right now, all of them. I know uh, Washington died before it was complete, but still he laid the cornerstone. He was there, right? He was on those grounds. Um, All of them stood there. And, you know, Lincoln and all, all the the great ones and the not so great ones, like they all passed through there. They all left a mark. They all left a fingerprint on our country, on that building. And um, there's just kind of like this awesome overpowering connection because it's not the biggest house I've ever been in. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, again, being a New Englander, um, we have these these mansions in Newport, you know, like the the Breakers Mansion and so on. I mean, owned, owned by the Rockefellers and names you've you've heard of, right? You go in there and you're like, I think the White House would fit inside their living room, <laughs> you know? Just these gaudy, awful, huge monstrosities. And yet, man, that's the White House. Like, that's the White House, right? There's yeah. there's a power to it. There's a mystique. There's a legend to it just walking in.
1: Yeah. The uh, the nipping at the heels that, um I mean, earlier we, we looked at some stories of White House pets. And there were yeah. some parrots. Uh, one parrot that was just nasty probably bit James Madison's finger down to the bone at one point. And it just makes. I don't know if you've ever had experience with a, a haunted macaws or anything like that, but if if there's anything that would come back and nip at people's feet that that's got to be it.
0: it would so yeah i mean there's there's been so many animals over the years, I mean the Lincolns had all kinds of various pets that uh people would would send gifts to the kids, you know, like goats and all kinds of things mm. and yeah there's there's been all kinds of animals through there um I don't know, I feel like any living thing, any sentient being leaves some kind of mark you know, leave some sort of um, something behind, you know, um, an impression, if nothing else. And and some people leave a profound mark behind, uh, for example, uh, artists, poets, musicians, like there's a reason we still talk about Shakespeare all these centuries after his death. There's a reason we talk about Mozart and Beethoven and why we talk about, you know, any number of other artists, you know, that that still their legacy lives on. Uh, And of course, politicians too. We still talk about Mm -hmm. Lincoln all the time and Washington. And we talk about the old Revolutionary War generals and so on. We still connect to the foundation of who we are. And it's incredible. People who have any sort of appreciation for history. I mean, how many times we repeat it, right? (laughs) You just go, come on, everybody. We've been through this before. The pandemic is such a a classic example. You know, um, Mm -hmm. when when COVID hit and everything shut down, On the new england legends podcast we started doing a lot of stories about vampires in new england because Mm. those vampire stories were tied to consumption victims consumption was a plague that i mean that killed a lot of people a lot of people right i mean it could wipe out families and towns and communities and when medical science doesn't have an answer for you folklore does you know you're the victim of a vampire this was before bram stoker before any of that Mm. stuff a vampire was a walking corpse that fed on the living we've been through this before, just not in our lifetime. So, um, you know, 1918, the, the flu and, you know, the, the Spanish flu, like we've been through these kinds of things. And when you go back through history, you sort of realize like, all right, I mean, sometimes it was dealt with in pretty severe ways. And so sometimes we complain about having to wear a mask. Like it's been worse, way worse. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: As a storyteller, as, as someone who's trying to capture experiences and investigate things, is there sort of a a holy grail that's running around in your mind, something that that you really want to uh, achieve or experience or like you, your Moby Dick?
0: For the longest time, it was the White House. Like I mm. wanted to get in there. Now, here's the thing. I did not get to go upstairs. Um, the upstairs is exclusively for the first family. And the only way to get up there is by an invite from the first ah. family. And um, I like to keep my campaign contributions far south of anything that would ever warrant uh, an invite <laughs> to the, a night in the Lincoln bedroom. So, um, <laughs> you know, yep. one of them would have to call me and be like, "Jeff, there's a ghost here. We know you're the guy. Can you come on down?" Um, that would be the Holy Grail—a night in the Lincoln bedroom. So, any any presidents listening, uh, might yeah, you know how to get in touch with me. I don't have to give out the number. You can. You got people that can figure that out. Um, I would love that. That to me, getting there and doing this book was was really a huge, you know, feather in my paranormal cap. But to actually get to go upstairs would be pretty
1: cool. Mm. Yeah, I can imagine. I wrote about like covering these kinds of topics on on our Facebook page, and, and someone commented, you know, that's not real history. Stick with the facts. And I mean, the facts are that the belief in the supernatural, whether it's ghosts or hobgoblins or spiritualism, it's been a part of American history from the beginning. How do you respond to people? And I hope people don't say this to you, but to the idea that these are just silly stories. It's not real history. It doesn't matter.
0: Oh, people do say it to me. <laughs> I don't mind. Uh, That's okay. I'm a big boy. I can take it. <laughs> um, there's a quote I've I've used. I mean, I've I've said it a lot. History is a ghost story. We don't know mm-hmm. everything, you know. And and furthermore, uh, let me tell you the inherent value of a ghost story. Gettysburg, right? Forty-one thousand dead, missing, or wounded in the span of three days from July first to third, in eighteen sixty-three, right? Uh, yeah. So so what? I mean, I don't mean that. Sounds horrible. 41,000 is an inconceivable number. You can't put your head around it whatsoever. It means nothing at all. But if I told you about a single soldier that was bleeding out on the Daniel Lady Farm, his blood still staining the floor as he waited for an amputation in the room that had the most light and there was three before him getting amputations done, one person who's still sticking around, a person who had parents a brother, you know, a, a spouse, a child of their own. If I tell you about that one person and how he died there, and and how he left a mark, and how you know people still see his bloodstains soaked into the flo- the hardwood floor, and still see his apparition walking around, that times forty-one thousand means something. Mm. One person is so much more important than forty-one thousand. It just is. We can connect with one. Yeah. And then you hear, well, that story multiplied by, holy cow, right? Then Gettysburg hits you a lot harder. You cannot reduce history to uh, to numbers and facts. Those are cold, yeah. they have no heart, they have no emotion, and most people can't connect to that. We can connect to other people, we can connect to stories. So uh, you're right, spiritualism uh, affected people. The Lincolns lost a child when they were in the White House, right? I mean, Willie died Mm. of a typhoid-like disease inside the White House and it broke them up as it would anybody who is a parent and has a child, right? I mean, it was devastating. And Mary Todd Lincoln, she was holding seances in the White House. And we know the president attended at least one because there was a political price he paid. It was in the papers. What's this crazy guy doing? You know, Mm. consulting with mediums and so on in a letter that Mary Todd wrote to her sister, she said that, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but he lives Emily. He lives, uh, talking about Willie Lincoln coming to her every night with his uncle Alec, who also died as a child. And, uh, and, and it gives me such uh, comfort to know that he's still around and so on. And I went, wow. I mean, now you could say that's a distraught mother who's desperately missing her child and having a dream of him. I get it. I, I understand that would be a a logical place to for your mind to go. However, um, in the first few years of the 1900s, a military aide named Archibald Butt, unfortunate name, but it is what it is, mm. writes a memoir about uh, his life, and that includes visits to the White House, where he said the staff talked about how it was haunted by the ghost of a little boy. Mm. Now, that's 40 years after the Lincolns, right? Uh, 40 years after the Lincolns, they're talking about the ghost of a little boy. And the only little boy to die there was Willie, uh, you know, in, inside the White House. And so we connect, we connect. And so you can call them silly stories, but boy, we remember them. We remember them way yeah. more than, oh, it was in the East Room that they signed this certain bill that then went on to blah, blah, you know, like, eh, that's, that's hard to connect to. But a little boy, you know, and a parent just loving their kid, that, that humanizes these presidents a lot more than any bills they signed.
1: Oh, that makes sense. And I, I think about the emotions that you feel telling ghost stories or imagining these things, it, it hits you in so many more places than just, you know, straight history. There's the, the grief, the mystery, the fear, all of these things kind of wrapped into them.
0: It's, it's so critical. And um, <laughs> I remember interviewing this old Scottish historian once, and I won't do his brogue any justice, but I'll try. He said, you "Oh, know, please!" Is... <laughs> he said, "History is a damn good story. It just needs damn good telling." And I <laughs> went, "Ah, oh, that's true. It is true." And so, yeah. So for me, like that's that's the mark I leave is to try to get people to emotionally connect to these stories. Um, so, and, and a place is haunted because something left a mark, right? A stain, a scar. You know, um, not always true. Sometimes a building's haunted by someone that just seemed to be happiest there. And I guess they're still sticking around. But so for example, at the White House, Lincoln's name comes up again and again and again, mm. as far as ghosts go. And that makes sense. Uh, we need him around. We we want him there. He is the benchmark. That's as hard as a presidency will ever get. It's There's never been even a close second to that presidency as far as difficulty his kid dies while he's in the White House, right? His nation's at war with itself. The, the civil war, the, the union is being split apart, brother against brother, tens of thousands are dying all the time. Uh, it's, it's as bad as it will ever get. And then of course, he's assassinated. He mm-hmm. paid the ultimate price for the office. That's it, That's, it's never been that hard ever, ever before or since. And I remember watching an interview once with George H.W. Bush, the elder Bush, and he was saying how it was he was early in the White House and he was—he um, had to send some troops into harm's way, uh, some sort of minor skirmish, but something where lives were in danger. And he said he was up really late struggling with the decision. And then he said, and then I thought about what Lincoln went through. And I said, okay, I can get through this. And I believe presidents who have any sort of uh, appreciation and understanding of history literally summon Lincoln. And I know Ooh. that sounds woo-woo and whatever, but I think that's the appropriate word. They summon him. I would, if I was thrown into that job, which I never will be, don't want it, but I would be like, I would be like, get me every medium in the country. Yeah. I need Lincoln. I need his wisdom. I need to, him to have a hand on my shoulder saying, it's gonna be okay. I've been through worse, right? I would need that spirit there um, because, as well as many others, by the way, not just Lincoln, tons of other presidents who've seen some stuff and been through some things. There's a reason... That every president who takes that job, by the time they get out of office, they look so aged, you yeah. know, <laughs> you're like you compare like day one and last day photos and you just go, my gosh, that thing took a toll on them, didn't it? You know, I can only imagine the pressure that job mm. uh, would entail. Um, you need you need a little spirituality, I think, to get you through that. You, you can't just, you know, uh, wing in a prayer that uh, something like that. Um and, and and so these ghost stories stick around because we need them because we need to remember presidents do get assassinated uh, the worst can happen that the nation can get to war against itself when when people were like the nation's so divided politically I'm like this ain't nothing
1: you yeah, know
0: <laughs> right? I mean, it's yeah. Contentious. It's contentious. I
1: mean, there is an example where it was worse. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and it's just not during your lifetime. So, yeah. um, history gives us such perspective on it. And I think this is just a, a great way to connect with it in a memorable way, in a way that I get it. I mean, call it sensational, good. Like, then let it be sensational. Let it be something you remember. Um, because this th- these stories are important, however you connect with them. Because most people, by the way, don't really love history you have to trick them <laughs> you know mm. like you have to trick them into learning this sometimes and um and i think a ghost story is as good a way to do it as any other
1: yeah one one last thing i kind of wanted to to just touch on i mean i i feel like if i experienced something or saw something i know uh, my first instinct would be to crap my pants there's probably a better answer um like you in the catacombs, if someone experiences something that they can't explain, what what should they do? what What would you say to tell themselves? Uh,
0: so I, I I um I read a lot on Buddhism, which I think makes a ton of sense, you know. And so Buddhism talks about how um, if if an emotion comes up for you, you should sit with it on a park bench until mm. it's ready to leave. You know, you're not supposed to push it away. It's it's there visiting you for some reason and i sort of look at the ghost experience in a very similar way it's for you to process right i mean it's it's a human experience there are no ghosts without a living person in the equation none that i've ever heard of right there might be a ghost right now in the middle of the woods with no one around for 100 miles but it doesn't matter right because there's no human there to to see it or experience it um Mm. so if you've had an experience sit with it right sit with it let it become part of you. Let process it talk about it with friends if it makes you feel better talk about it with clergy if that's what you want to do write it down whatever it is just like any other experience I would tell you but I I would give you the same advice if like you had a romantic breakup right (laughs) sit with it process it get through it um, and and understand that this is part of the world too like that people get together and people break up people live people die you know and sometimes things happen that we can't quite explain, and it doesn't fall neatly into the way we were told the world works. Um, but that's just because we still don't know everything yet.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's that's what science is, finding answers and looking for for new things. Um, yeah, absolutely. You seem very enthusiastic about the idea of ghosts, that, that they maybe have something to tell us about history. What do you say to people who have had um, what they would consider bad experiences or are terrified of what goes bump in the night? What What is there to be afraid of? And, and how do you address those fears?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, the overwhelming majority of, of stories that I've looked into and, and people I've talked to, uh, sometimes they're scared because if you're in your home asleep at night and you hear someone walking around, I'd be scared too, right? I'd yeah. call the police. Like that could be an intruder. Of course, that's a natural response. It doesn't mean if that's a ghost that, entity is there to do you any harm. It's just startled you. Um, it's pretty rare that someone feels threatened by what they're experiencing. But at that point, um, you know, yeah, that's difficult, especially if it's in your home. If it's not your home, just get out, (laughs) you know, like leave, leave the building. Um, if it's in your home, then I mean, you know, I, I don't even know at this point, you know, because I, I know people that will come in and say prayers and do cleansings, but only works if you believe in it. you know what I mean? Mm. Um, there's people that want to get religious with it, which is fine. You know when something happens to you that does not compute, you get broken down to the most primal part of who you are, right? you you get way down deep into uh, okay, well, this this doesn't make sense. My science and schooling can't explain it. I better break out the old religious upbringing. You
1: yeah, know? there's no and, atheist and in a foxhole, yeah.
0: Yeah. Right. And so it's, it's, that's right. Yeah. No atheist in a foxhole. Exactly. So if you're scared, um, if you don't have a belief system, sometimes people find one right quick, you know, <laughs> <laughs> someone comes in and says, oh, we'll get a priest in here to do an exorcism. I'm not Catholic, you know, uh, I'm Jewish, like whatever. I mean, there's a Jewish <laughs> exorcism too, by the way. But like, you know, you, you suddenly, um, you suddenly attach to something because you can't understand it otherwise. You lack the tools. Mm. Um, and so, and that's another thing too. These stories like when we talk about a place being haunted, what we're really talking about is like one of the biggest questions that human beings have ever asked, and that is what happens after we die. Right? We're talking about mm-hmm. death and the afterlife without all the dogmas and tension of religion, right? If I were to talk to you about my religion, you'd be squirming. You'd be like, "Oh, I don't want to do that, please," you know? But yeah. we just talk about ghosts. If it's just a story, it's just a story. If it's yeah. a little something more to you, Fine. You know, I mean, we're talking about the elephant in the room. We're all going to die. We want to be remembered um, and and we don't want to repeat mistakes of the past. And so ghosts fill in a lot of gaps for us.
1: If our listeners want to hear more of your stories and read your work, what's the best way to find you?
0: So I'm on social media. You can find me at Exploring Legends. Uh, my website's my name, jeffbelanger.com. Uh, I've, I've got a story tour going on almost all the time, but especially in the fall. And a lot of them, because of COVID, are virtual. So people can attend oh, cool. from anywhere um, where I'm, I'm, I'm sharing haunts in history just about every single night. And uh, my podcast, New England Legends, wherever you get your podcasts, you can, you can subscribe for free. They're short. They're like 10, 12 minutes long, um, sound effects and voice actors and music. And just a, just a quick little bit that we put out every single Thursday. So, um, you know, find me, find me anywhere. And I love connecting with people too, that, that have these stories to share. Cause I think sometimes people may not know how to process it, but they do want to share that story. And Mm -hmm. so whether it's like putting it up on my website, like, Hey, this is what happened to me or just getting it off their chest. Even that alone is, is often pretty helpful for
1: people. Awesome. Great. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. Uh, thank you and, and have a great Halloween.
0: Thank you, Howard. You too.
2: Okay. Wow. He was so energetic. I immediately was um, jealous of his energy. Right? <laughs> yes. Definitely. Like, how does he do it? I don't know. I mean, he is, I mean, it's clear that he's just so passionate about this and it fills him up with life. Yes. Um, I really loved him. I definitely want him to be another BFF at the dinner table.
1: Oh yeah, no, Jeff is—he's invited over to dinner. He's our new best friend. Yes, we can have some avocados, and he can join our drum circle out here in California. (laughs) Come on out, Jeff.
2: Yes, yes, we promise we'll make it um a good time. That sounds (laughs) good. It's yeah. really dirty. I didn't mean for that to sound <laughs> so dirty. I just want to meet him and have him to dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, I just also thought you guys were so similar in so many ways. Because, I mean, first of all, you both love history. And you both are teaching history in a way that um, is relevant and exciting. huh and i think you both love research and you love following a story and digging into a story oh
1: yeah the idea that when he saw a gravestone that he was bizarre himself. exactly and You're that's the
2: same way yeah
1: i mean it's yeah uh, i see something weird and it's like newspapers.com ancestry.com down the rabbit hole of google yes, books and yes. yeah it's like until i get those answers and then there's more questions that pop up and then it's four in the morning
2: you guys also love cemeteries. <laughs> yes, yes. And you love ghosts and ghost stories.
1: Yeah, and I love the idea that history is a ghost story and that it's all in the telling of the story.
2: Yes, I loved that too. And
1: his Buddhist ideas about sitting with feelings and acknowledging them and working through them, it's, it's very much in line with the kind of respectful parenting that we strive for. That's so
2: funny that you said that. Yes, absolutely. Just the acknowledging of the feeling and processing it
1: slowly. Yeah, he's a dad. And it sounds like that's something that he's good at, too. (laughs) So, you know, he's got it all. How
2: does he have energy? I I don't know. How is he a parent? Oh,
1: my God. And he has a
2: podcast every week.
1: Maybe. um, How weird would it be if we found a picture of him from, like, the 1920s and he looked exactly the same? (laughs) Maybe he's not just investigating ghosts.
2: How is he... Oh, my gosh. I just would like a little bit of whatever he's having. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah.
2: Um, I have a question for you, Howard. Oh. Do you believe in ghosts?
1: I think you've asked me that question. On the mic? On the mic before. Really? Yeah.
2: But I don't know if I've ever asked it this directly, and I have forgotten the answer. So apparently <laughs> I did not process Yeah,
1: it. you're not a listener. It's okay. <laughs> um, I, that's a good question. I love ghost stories and horror stories and movies and supernatural lore. Um, I mean, check out our Paranormal Presidents episodes from last season. I love these kinds of stories, and you know, like, yeah, me too. I can't, I can't say that I believe that ghosts are real, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to call people who have experienced unexplainable things liars.
2: Oh, now I'm now I'm remembering asking you this. Yeah,
1: because you were dissatisfied then. <laughs> Maybe that's as well. why I can't
2: remember the answer because yeah. you don't answer it. <laughs>
1: I mean, are there? I mean, for years the concept of ball lightning was um questioned. Excuse
2: me, ball lightning.
1: Ball lightning: the idea that I'm questioning it right now. This electrical lightning, plasmatic thing, like in the shape of a ball, could wander inside your window. And just kind of hover there.
2: What are you talking about? I'm
1: talking about ball lightning. I something... think you're talking
2: about um, UFOs. This no. is what you're talking about. It, it sounds Which like something
1: way out there. And it, it was something belief. that uh, many people didn't believe was real, but there were these uh, accounts of it and different terms for it. And then it was finally kind of documented not all that long ago. And it's this form of like electromagnetic or electrostatic kind of lightning that can
2: floats into your window can
1: float into your window in the form of a ball ball lightning look it up
2: (laughs) wow well that's fascinating and just blew my mind slightly
1: yeah the idea that there can be these things that some people experience and others are like no way you're crazy right show me a real picture um but then as years go on eventually we find out more about it that idea is intriguing and enticing that you know maybe maybe hidden in. You know, some cave somewhere is this little Bigfoot, you know, (laughs) Um, not saying I believe that, but it's a it's a very enticing idea.
2: It is enticing to think about how science can eventually uncover explanations for certain events. That is fascinating. But I think I think because you've never had a ghost story of your own, necessarily, you do approach ghost stories in general with skepticism. Perhaps can i share some ghost stories yeah all right so one that you've been highly skeptical of is the girl under the towel by the bed
1: Ah, yes your las vegas story
2: my las vegas story you know already i'm starting to get a, a tone from you a tone of disbelief and judgment hold your judgments don't judge i was in vegas yes but i was totally sober sleeping and innocent um And to preface the story, I have spent a lot of my childhood seeing figures by my bed. So not scary alien figures or anything terrifying like that. I was never sat upon by the old hag or seeing things in the room that glared at me or anything like that, that people describe. And that's just terrifying. But I've had like what I might call visitors People who are by the bed and they're just kind of looking and I've, they've always felt benevolent to me, and I always chalk them up to be waking dreams. I would call them, thinking like, oh, I'm you know half asleep, so I'm having a waking dream.
1: Sure, yeah, it's <laughs> a, a comforting explanation. I'm
2: half asleep. It's probably I'm just dreaming, realistically. <laughs> um, so that's always what I thought, but that it would happen all the time. Always benevolent. And then comes Vegas, where I'm sleeping in the bed with one of my best friends, Nicole. And we are, you know, we had been out and had fun. I was in the bed with her. We were sleeping. And in the bed next to us was our other friend, Julia. And in the middle of the night, I feel Nicole like clawing at my arm, thinking, why is she on me? Get off me. (laughs) I'm trying to sleep here. And then I hear her say, Julia? Julia? something like that. She she references the being. <laughs> and then I think, huh, what is she talking to? So I open my eyes and there I see um a very young girl, kind of like what we were at the time, young adults. And she had long hair like our friend Julia who was in the bed next to us, and she was wrapped in a towel as if she had just gotten out of the shower. And so I saw her there. I saw her at the corner, my corner of the bed, the left side. And I saw her there and um, she was wrapped in a towel and she's very beautiful. And I looked over and saw Julie in her bed. So I knew it wasn't Julia. And I just chalked it up to be one of my waking dreams. And then I went back to sleep. No problem.
1: What was she doing?
2: She was holding the towel and she kind of just like tilted her head so I could see her hair. But I looked at her so briefly, like, I didn't see a lot of the movement that Nicole saw. Um, so, I went back to sleep, and Nicole said she ended up sitting on Julia's bed, mm. and um, but I didn't see that. So, I saw her hold her towel. She seemed really nice, and she kind of just, like, you know, tilted her head as, to move her hair around. Um kind of thing you do after a shower, just kind of moving your hair around, although you wouldn't know about moving your hair around.
1: (laughs) You know, I I, I like to try anyway. (laughs) Pretend.
2: So the craziest part that I remember about this, though, that hadn't been with any of my other experiences to my knowledge, was I could see her background, I could see some steam from the shower, I could see some light coming from the bathroom. And, um, I could, I could see, but I couldn't see it with my eyes. It's almost like I remembered it as I was looking at her. I could see where she was from, like mm-hmm. what moment she was from, but it was different than our moment. Cause I knew that our room was still pitch black anyway. So my friend, Nicole woke up the next morning saying she had seen a ghost and we all kind of teased her and laughed at her. And seriously, I told her, you know, I get these waking dreams. you were probably sleeping And just, you know, had a waking dream. And she said, Jess, I was awake. I was awake and I saw her. I was like, all right. And I didn't even really recall um, the night before. So, because it was (laughs) so common for me.
1: To not remember the night before.
2: (laughs) No, to not remember, to not, I didn't make the connection. Okay. Between what she was saying and what I saw. Because it was pretty common for me to see things by the bed, right? A year later, we're having dinner, and we are talking about Vegas and reminiscing, and she's like, you guys were always such assholes about, <laughs> about my ghost story. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Um, she's like, yeah, there's, there's this girl with long hair by the bed. And I, and I suddenly realized I, I have a visual of that. Hmm. Like, I got a visual, and I said, long hair by the bed. Was she wearing a towel? and Nicole freaked out. <laughs> she just freaked out there at the table. She said you saw her. You st-? yeah, she was wearing a towel. And as we ooh, I'm getting chills talking about mm-hmm. it and as we dug into the details more and more, we realized we had seen the same the same thing. Wow. So, Mr. Skeptic. So I told you years later about the story. You were very skeptical, saying our brains may have meshed or we had <laughs> somehow copied each other's memories psychologically. I mean, maybe it was me who was transported to a memory somewhere else, someone else's memory.
1: Or, I mean, maybe you were both like drugged and and there was some girl in your room.
2: That's a possibility (laughs) as well. But our doors were locked. Everything was locked and they were still locked when we woke up.
1: Yeah. I don't know.
2: So, and I don't recall inviting anyone back. (laughs) Not that
1: night anyway. (laughs) All (laughs) right. All right.
2: (laughs) So that's my ghost story, but I thought I'd share.
1: Nice. Well, thank you for sharing. Yes. Um, so we are, again, taking next week off. We'll be back in two weeks on November 9th. And November 14th is going to be our all-patron Zoom. So it's a great time to join our Patreon family. Find out more at PlotPod.com. And I want to thank everyone who voted for us in the Discover Pods Awards. Yeah,
2: that was so kind. Yes. We felt so loved.
1: Yes, we were a finalist in the Best History Podcast category up against some heavy hitters like Sawbones and You're Wrong About and Hardcore History and Behind the Bastards. It truly was an honor to be a finalist alongside them. The winners were the History Chicks.
2: Oh, cool.
1: Yeah, and they deserve it. Congrats, Congrats to them. Congrats, History
2: Chicks. Yes. <laughs>
1: yes we'll
2: see you outside <laughs> <laughs> just kidding well we hope you have a spectacular halloween yes not to be too corny and we'd love to hear some of your ghost stories
1: reach out on the facebook page um
2: we'd love to hear some of your ghost stories
1: yes so happy halloween and thank you for plotting
2: thanks for plotting
0: was the skin soft howard